Welcome to Future Forecast, a podcast about technology, leadership, and sustainability with leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about cross-cultural differences, why they're important, and how we can overcome them. We're talking to Pellegrino Riccardi. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> He's a cross-cultural expert, motivational speaker, teacher, communications consultant, and a world-touring rock musician. He was born in the UK in an Italian family, but has lived in Norway for the past 23 years while leaving audiences in awe, speaking on stages across the world with his witty and thought-invoking insights on cross-cultural differences. Welcome, Pellegrino. We're so happy you wanted to join. Wow, what an introduction that was. That was amazing. I love the way you said my name, too. Great. Is it, was it right? Yeah, amazing. Really perfect. With with, you got all the R's in there as well. <laughs> Pellegrino. Fantastic. Yeah. I love that name. It uh, it's, it's very. A, luxurious. I hated my name as a kid. You know that. Really? Yeah, yeah. People people made fun of me all the time, but I love it now. I love my name now. It's amazing. I love it too. I've been saying it all day without like needing to. Yeah, I was like, where's Pellegrino? I'm Pellegrino. Like, <laughs> everybody, but uh, everyone thinks Pellegrino is the the family name because it's not it's not a Christian name anymore. Even Italians say to me. It's your family name. No, <laughs> really? it's my first name. No, you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, well, uh, we like to kick off the podcast asking a few questions uh, to get to know you better okay. on a personal level. It's not dangerous. I uh, just want to know what your morning routine You can routine. ask anything you like. My morning routine is really simple. I get up. I'm silent when I get up. I'm not a good... If, if your idea of a good morning person is somebody who chats to you in the morning, I'm a terrible morning person. I'm really quiet. I go and get a cup of coffee, and then I retire to my armchair in my office at home, and I read for an hour every day. So I start my day by reading, uh, and I read to learn and to borrow ideas. Not steal them, but borrow them. That's incredible. I hear all smart people do that. They say that, yeah. And <laughs> I've got, I've got like 40 books, literally 40 books waiting to be read, and I never catch up. So I'm always buying new books to be read. I read constantly. That's yeah. so good. I don't have the attention span to do that, unfortunately, anymore. That's just the world or the generation. Or, or it could be a generation thing, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's different ways of getting knowledge, but it doesn't have to be a book. But that's my way of getting knowledge. Yeah. I love reading books. I just never kind of... I'm able to for a long time, but uh, anyway, t- anyways, uh, you've been speaking on stage, moderating the stage at Oslo Business Forum yeah. all day, yeah. but I want to ask you, when was the last time that you stepped out of your comfort zone? Uh, I do it all the time, actually. People think, but you know, people see me on stage doing my job, doing my talking, my keynotes and my moderating, and they think it's easy. It's not easy, and I get nervous every time... I have to go on stage. Uh, I put a lot of work into it. Uh, and I'm always outside my comfort zone. If I'm really honest with you, uh, uh, Oslo Business Forum was outside my comfort zone. Um, and, and it's pretty common news now, but there was, a, there, there was a potential little... At one point, Richard Quest might not have been able to make it, you see. I know. Do you know this? Are we allowed to tell the story? I know. Yeah, but you are because it's, I it's actually... Not, it's because of the news. You know, he was on, he was on call, basically, right? And, and I received a text message on Tuesday morning... Could I step in? No prep, day before. It's crazy. I mean, and it's I said, yeah, crazy. go for it. Because that's how you learn. You stretch. And I'm a really good learner. I'm constantly stretching myself and going outside my comfort zone in order to learn and in order to grow. 
I was also asked to step in for one of the sessions this morning there because of uh, yeah. Rich's request. I said yes, too. Um, but uh, again, I mean, it's it's definitely outside your comfort zone, even if you've done it so many times. But that's what resilience is, right? They, they, a, lot, a lot of people are talking about resilience today. You know what resilience? You can't be resilient without without going through a little bit of pain. I call it pain. Yeah. yeah. You, need, you need a bit of pain, <laughs> which is going outside your comfort zone. And that's how you grow. Yeah, it's not physical pain. It's more like it's psychological more, it's, pain. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, you need it. That's how, be, you know, and, and perhaps... Um, it's not cross-cultural this but uh, you know maybe maybe the kids that we I'm very aware of this with my own kids you know I don't think they go through enough pain I'm not a sadist <laughs> I know I don't know what it sounds like now but they need to experience a little bit of resistance in life right mm. in order to grow and to learn that's the only way so do you think that their life is just so uh, so good that basically it's like too good? It can be, yeah. I mean, I don't want my kids to have the life I had either. It was it was pretty tough. I grew up in a really poor background, really poor. I, mean, I was a, a child of immigrants. They left the south of Italy and went to the UK. So I had a very poor background. I wouldn't want that for my kids. They don't need to have that. But they do need to understand that you need some resistance sometimes. It doesn't always go your way, right? Is your background a part of why you went into cross-cultural differences? Yeah, absolutely, completely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, there are two reasons I went into it. First of all, I grew up as an immigrant. I was I grew up in the UK, uh, in a very Italian family. The only English thing in our house was the TV. <laughs> okay. I kid you not. Everything else was completely Italian. This the sounds food, like a movie. the smell, the language. The only thing you switch the TV off, and you were in Italy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then I came to Norway, and I came in '95. And it was a tough one, actually. I was surprised by how difficult it was to integrate. So um, I, I, I enrolled for a language course immediately. First thing, lang must learn the language. Got to speak Norwegian, even though you guys speak great English. I'm going to learn Norwegian, and I'm going to really push myself. And I did that. Uh, but it was tough. So I entered my career as a form of self-therapy explaining you weird Norwegians to myself with humor so that I could deal with with being with you. And we're, and we're going to get into yeah. that because because that's so incredibly interesting. And as I was pointing out earlier, we Norwegians love to hear about themselves. <laughs> um, but let's uh, go a little bit into your area of expertise, which I think everyone kind of finds interesting because mm. it, it does relate to all of us. Mm. Um, and then... It's the word culture. Yeah. Uh, every startup and every established company is talking about how that's like completely necessary to, to survive the future. But what does the word culture or concept really mean? What is it? It's a tricky one. It's, it's first of all, it's quite fluffy. But I, I, the expression I use, which is not mine, is first of all, the culture is the way we do things around here. It's the way we do things around here. It's a, it's learned. It's programmed in us. I use the word programmed. Human beings are the hardware, culture is the software. That's an old metaphor for culture. It, it, and it takes a long time to build. It doesn't, you can't switch culture on. You know, it's not a switch. All right, put the culture on. You, it's not a light bulb. It takes ages to build. It takes generations. It takes a long time, yeah? But it's basically the way we do things and the way we think. Interesting. Uh, that's a great way to put it, actually. So, um, but then going back into your background, you, you moved to Norway 23 years ago. Yeah. And uh, as I already pointed out, we love to hear about ourselves. That's mm -hmm. one of the things. But I'm also um, 
half American. Yeah. So I can I can stand listening to the critical views of Norway, mm. which which many don't like to, mm. to hear. But tell me tell me honestly, when you when you got here, what was what was that like, and what was the biggest culture shocks? What was completely uh, unexpected? What really unexpected me? There was there was good and bad, if I can put it that way. Mm. Let's start with the good. I was really shocked by the level of trust here. Mm. I didn't believe it at first. God, these guys are really... They're, they're really naive, man. They haven't got a clue. <laughs> they haven't got a clue. Uh, and um, I, I often say on, when I do my talks that the easiest people to trick in the world are Norwegians. They're so easy to trick, man. Oh, it's so... But then I say, but they're so easy, it's not fun. There's <laughs> <laughs> no challenge. <laughs> and I use this and I tell people, if you're going to work with Norwegians and you want to trick them, then go for it. It's easy. Yeah. But you know what? If you do that and they find out, you end up in what's called the bad fish bucket. Uh-oh. And they go, what's the bad fish bucket? I go, Norwegians have two buckets for their people that they know in business. The good fish bucket and the bad fish bucket. And if you're given the trust and, and you don't abuse that trust, you end up in the good fish bucket. And then they carry on doing business with it. But if you end up in the bad fish bucket, well, we know what happens to bad fish. What do we do with it? We chuck it away. And they won't fish you back. <laughs> That's a great yeah, 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 absolutely. So it took me a while. I didn't believe it at first, but it's an amazing, and there's been a lot of talk about that today. The bad side of it was, and, it, and it, I'm not the first to say it, um, you were re you're really lovely at around nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Mm, you're yeah. lovely people. I you wonder are why. so nice. I wonder why. <laughs> but it, it's got to be around nine, nine thirty. Because at around 11 o'clock at night, you switch again into something else. And that's not always nice. But the, but the, but the five o'clock Norwegian is so, I like to say shy, but you're not shy, actually. Um, you're just as warm as Italians. You're just, yeah, you are. You, deep down, I mean, we're all human beings at the end, right? You're just as warm as us. But it's as if you, you feel you're not allowed to be it. And that's where the programming comes in. Because I believe, and I know I'm generalizing here, and, and northern Norwegians will disagree with me, and the Bergen people, hang on a minute, and I know there are individual differences, but, but basically, if culture is programming, you're programmed to not approach people too much unless asked to. You're programmed not to speak unless you have something to say. And then when you drink alcohol, alcohol is the virus in the programming. So your programming goes out the window and you actually become what you really are, which is human beings with warmth and love. Hmm. So... Okay, this is probably, well, should we just drink more alcohol then, or? <laughs> drink some, or no, drink some and not too much, or what I'm really saying is you have to sometimes um, override the programming, override the programming. There was a speaker earlier today, um, I won't mention the person's name, who, who started their talk by saying she, she knew when she was, she traveled a long way to be here. And she knew when she was getting closer to Norway because people stopped helping her on the plane oh. with her bags and stuff, yeah? That's sad. Yeah, it was kind of sad. Um, and, and she said she spilled a whole coffee uh, by accident and nobody helped her. Now, what I wanted to tell her was, I know you perceive that as unkind and uninterested, but Norwegians are programmed not to jump in and help you because they're afraid of disturbing you 
unless they're asked to be disturbed. If you'd have said to them, oh, could someone help me? Five Norwegians would jump up and help you with your back. But they need permission to do that first. And I wish you wouldn't ask for permission all the time. That's what, those were my first impressions of Norwegians. That's so like insightful. I, I don't think I've ever thought about it like that before. But it's like, yeah, we are quite helpful, but we just you're, need you're incredibly helpful. But you need to, to be, be that way. If I ask a Norwegian for help, they never refuse. You're really helpful. And, and what I usually say when I do my talks or my training in in cross cultural uh, awareness is there's there's always a positive intention behind the behavior. Your job is to find it. That's the curiosity, right? Mm. Now, it seems oh, they're really rude. They're really unhelpful. I've just spilled my coffee. Nobody gives you shit. But they do. But the positive intention is, I don't want to disturb you or make you feel more embarrassed in public. So I'm going to stay out of it. I'm just as embarrassed as you. I can see you don't really need help because you can get the bag up there, actually. <laughs> this, is, this is why but everyone if, should have a class with you, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but if you ask Norwegians, they're super helpful. So another thing that shocked me was I would sit, you know where I come from in my culture? It's the host that invites the guest. And as an immigrant to your country, I'm a guest. You're the host. It's your job to invite me. And that's the case in most cultures, yeah. right? Yeah. So there I am sitting there waiting to be invited. You're not inviting me. <laughs> So I have found out eventually that I'll go, all right, after about a year, I thought, I have to invite myself. So how do I do that? I can't go knocking on their doors. They're going to think, I'm mad. What do you do? And the way you do it in Norway is you join a club. Yeah. Or you get kids or you get a dog. That's a lot to do, just to get well, friends. Well, no, I've got <laughs> I don't have a dog, but I have kids. So uh, you got kids I've basically got ki- just to get friends. I got kids and now I've got a really good excuse to talk and to people and meet them. It's fantastic. Or, or join a ski club or join a sports club or any club. You've got clubs for everything here, right? Yeah. 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 We love we love sports. We love also doing things together. We like to you feel love, helpful. Yeah. You're really good at that. Yeah. Team activity is the best. World champions, yeah. really. Everything yeah. that we can do with our hands and feel like we're kind of like yeah. contributing. Absolutely. As to, like, and I didn't realize that. These are the codes that we need to break, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have a lot of uh, those kinds of things, but I want to talk more um, work-related because I, I know that uh, you have a sense of kind of, I think at least, you have a sense of all the Scandinavian cultures, kind of like Denmark. And, yeah, and yeah, there are, some, there, are some, there are a lot of similarities, but there's some key differences. Yeah, and, and I would love to know more about the differences. I know that, for example, uh, Sweden has a tendency to have a more of a consensus-seeking culture. Yeah, that's, that's, at least that's right. Well, they're known as the Germans of the North. Oh, okay. A title they hate, by the way. Yeah, I can. I've well, never I'm met a Swede who likes that title. <laughs> okay. I used it. Yeah, yeah. I've never met a Swede who likes that. And it's not my expression. It's a general. The Swedes are the Germans of the North, supposedly, because they're very good at planning. They're very orderly. They're detail oriented. They talk about it a lot before they make a decision, which Germans do too, by the way. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, feedback from the from the from the roots, right? The the Uh, the employees in a in a company, um, they can be a little bit boring, maybe because they're thinking about it so much. They need to be really sure before they move forward. But there's a lot of focus on detail, mm. and and I say that's well, if that's true, that's amazing, because that's exactly the qualities you need to make a company like IKEA run like it does. Yeah. Because if IKEA had been Danish, there would be a few screws missing when you get your packages, because the Danes are much more focused on. They're they're faster. 
when you land at De- when you land at Copenhagen Airport, next time you do a bit of travelling, don't you? Next time you land at Copenhagen Airport, notice the fast lane f- as you walk out the airport. It's the only airport of the Scandinavian airports that has a fast lane because they're a bit faster. They're like they're, they'll talk and have consensus, but then it's all right. Let's go. Ah, and they t- and they tend to be a bit more. They say yes to do, and then they do what they want anyway. They, they, so they'll uh, yeah, they'll, they'll agree with what and, you say. Yeah. And that's a great thing, and then they'll go and do their own thing anyway. So they're much can more you independent. Do business deals with them. I mean, we're yeah, and they're also quite business oriented. They're much more connected to the European mainland. They're a bit sly in business. Um, I wouldn't call them cutthroats, but they're definitely much more business minded. Uh, they're, they're often referred to as the Italians of the north, uh, uh, and the Norwegians aren't anything of the north. They're just the Norwegians. They're a bit of a unique breed. Maybe the Kuwaitis of the north because of the oil, but that doesn't really. Yeah. So there are some major differences there. We have to address the law of Yomta because I mean yeah, that's that's yeah. like what everyone outside of Scandinavia yeah. says is the most typical of uh, our our region in the world. And uh, for listeners who don't know what the law of Yomta, it's basically the norm that you shouldn't speak highly of yourself uh, in front of other people, indicating that you might be better than anyone else. Uh, and I mean, what does that mean to you? I mean, how how did you experience that when you moved here? Well, I mean, I hate it. But let's go back to what I said previously. Behind the behavior, there's usually a positive intention. So what's the positive intention behind Yantelovan? Well, that's a challenge. Yeah, well, I would think it's uh, to... Well, I mean, it's it's... Probably more things, but uh, to promote equality um, and to uh, be humble and kind, and, and I, the, I think it's, it's I, there's, yeah, there it's are all good those values. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. and it's to encourage solidarity. Yanta, yeah. And what all the Yantalov and the Law of Yanta countries have in common is they're small societies who are potentially weak. So it's a solidarity thing. It's a strengthening. If everyone starts flying off in their own direction, that and we and we uh, come under attack. We are suddenly weakened. It's a strengthening. But of course, in today's society, it, it translates in an extreme version. It means that people are afraid to to show how good they are. They're afraid to show their expertise. They're afraid to make mistakes too, actually. Everyone talks about you've got to make mistakes and fail early. I think Norwegians aren't very good at it, actually. Is that because they're afraid of... Uh... They're afraid of standing out for whatever reasons, whether they're too good or not too good. It's it, it, The bad side of the law of Yante is it... It basically suffocates people, in my opinion. And in, and if it, and if we want innovation today, you want the opposite. You want a few shining stars or shooting stars to rise above the others. And, and yeah, okay, they make mistakes now and then, but we should applaud both their rise and their failures, both, right? Yeah. So, so I find that really difficult, and I noticed it immediately because coming from the UK, UK is just USA light. We're quite good at saying if we're good at things. Yeah. And I learned really quickly that that was not very cool. Uh-oh. You had to keep your mouth shut. How did you? How did I mean? How would you say something good about yourself in <clears throat> in Norway versus in the UK or in Italy? Well, the best way to say something good about yourself in Norway is to get someone else to say it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you get your mate to say it for you. Uh-huh. They become your your mouthpiece, yep. your PR person, your public relations person, right? You just don't say it yourself. It's really difficult. So, for example, you mentioned the rock star thing at the beginning. That was a long time ago, although I don't play music anymore. But I, I didn't tell anybody about that in Norway for over a decade. Why? 
because a because I thought it was a bit irrelevant to the businesses I was working in, and secondly, I didn't want to boast. I didn't want to brag. I, I mean, I, pl- I was lucky enough to play music in a band that toured as a warm-up band for you too. We toured with them all over Europe. It was amazing. Tell them. It, yeah, and I didn't <laughs> tell anybody for over a decade. And then someone said, found out and said, you should do that. So I did. And you know what happened? What kind of surprised me was that when I started mentioning it in interview, job interviews or CVs, people were really interested. But that doesn't break the law of Yante because I'm putting it down on paper in a kind of a discreet way. Yeah? Huh. Okay. So, so if you were to say that you were good at something in... But I mean, so it wouldn't... It wouldn't be a problem to tell anyone in the UK that you're just really excellent at your job, or well, I wouldn't. Nobody likes a bigot. Nobody no. likes an arrogant, you know. But to mention things, you know, to, uh, in the UK, I would say, um, yeah, I used to play music. Yeah, oh, did you? We, we, yeah, we did quite well. We did quite well. It was all right. Oh, did you play? In a, did anyone I know? And you tell them, and and then and then and then they might say, so what was the most exciting thing you do? And I say, well. I don't like to brag, actually, but we did do something which really changed my life. Mm. Bang, and you're in. Okay. So in terms of leadership, I know you have some examples of how the Norwegian or the Scandinavian uh, way of leading has its pros and its cons. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think the pros are pretty obvious. It's involvement, a lot of involvement. Um, People are relatively much less afraid to speak their minds here in Norway. Take away the fear element, and and that's really really important. Yeah, so communication channels are generally quite direct and quite clear. The downside of uh, Norwegian or Scandinavian leadership, not just Norwegian but Scandinavian leadership, is it can be a little bit indecisive sometimes. Mm. Um, and this we often see. I mean, any country from the Mediterranean countries, the U.S., uh, Latin America, India, uh, are often a bit puzzled by Norwegian decision-making, as in they're not sure it's even been made. You know, they're looking for this director, this person who's in charge, man or woman, actually, right? It's not just men, but somebody who really stands out as a person who takes responsibility and is and is steering the ship. They're looking for a pilot on the plane. Mm-hmm. And when they come to Norway, it's like getting on the plane and they go, where's the pilot? <laughs> Are we sitting in row 20 today? <laughs> The controls are back there. It's like, what? It's really weird. It's really odd, you know? So so there's a lack of clarity. The other thing that doesn't work for me is often there's a lack of responsibility. So when things go well, you know, um, then, then that's okay. But when things go bad, I'm not sure you're really good at taking responsibility for that. Maybe that's part of the collectivism you have in Scandinavia that we all we all we all die together we yeah. all we all we all win together yeah, that's good as well but sometimes you need somebody to just take the responsibility yeah? so how would a how would for example if we were to have a brazilian worker in in norway would, yeah. would they how would they relate to that workplace well, at first, I'll tell you what would happen. The Brazilian comes in, and at first, they're, they're really surprised there are so many opinions. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? They think it's a trick question. Are you testing me? Is this a test? I think that's one of the first things. The second thing that takes a while to get used to is that the fact that they can really be honest. If they disagree with the boss, they just say. Or if they have another suggestion which contradicts the boss, provided it's presented in a respectful manner, they can really, you know, their, their opinions are welcomed, actually. And that takes much longer than you think to get used to. But when they do get used to it, the Brazilian will love it. And then that Brazilian will, will find it extremely difficult to go back to Brazil. Yeah. That's, like, that's like having your mouth tied, with it, being gagged, basically. 
So are you saying that the, the way of leading is superior? If I had to pick one, I would I would go for the Norwegian with a little bit more decisiveness, yeah. okay. a bit and more responsibility. Sort of, and responsibility. That's yeah. the perfect match, and and that's one of my key messages. Actually, is that I say that diversity is the way to go, is to experience all the different uh, stars. You know, there's a talk, a lot of talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment, mm. and everybody's saying it's his Nordic management style. I don't. That's rubbish. I don't agree with that. The reason Ole Gunnar Solskjaer works well is because he knows both systems. Mm. He used to work for a very, a very decisive leader, patriarchal actually, Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm. However, he's also managed in Norway, so he knows that one too. And that, what, what that gives him is the ability to pick and choose which one works best with individuals. That's diversity. That's in addition to his personal traits as well. The problem with Mourinho is, is he has one style. Well, it seems like that, at least. Mm. So, so he's a great example, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, actually, of diversity leadership. That's why it works. And, and on that note, I mean, the world is becoming a lot more diverse, <clears throat> and that kind of does require a different kind of leadership. I mean, you have to be more culturally Absolutely. aware, for one. Yeah. Uh, but then we can't brush over the fact that Scandinavian leadership and teams are generally quite homogeneic, yeah. homogeneous. <clears throat> uh, do you have any tips on how we might embrace or prepare or welcome a more diverse workforce? I mean, how, what do you tell leaders when you realize that they have to become more culturally competent? How can they become more culturally competent? The first thing you have to tell them is you have to show them the research that the... the increasing amount of research that basically is telling us that diversity pays. Yeah. We're making better decisions. Uh, we're getting better results. We're getting better return on income, right? But it has to be managed. So, so diversity doesn't work on its own. That's the point. If you leave, if you put a group of people, a diverse group of people together and say, okay, off you go, it's chaos. Basically, it's chaos, right? But if you manage it through awareness, curiosity, respect, um, trying to pick and choose the best of each culture, you're onto something magic. Yeah, Uh, and that's where I believe I have a. I'm really grateful for the fact that I have an Italian, British, and now Norwegian background. You know, my kids are Norwegian. I can pick and choose the best of three worlds, and that's that's so cool to have. Yeah. That's my message to leaders, really. It's worth, it's worth the effort and the extra time and cost to make that diversity work. In the end, in the long run, you'll end up with a much, not just a better workplace, but you'll end up with better results as well. And uh, how do you do that in practice? I mean, do you just read a lot about different cultures? Do you travel more? Do you, how do you learn to the the, the absolute best? The absolute best uh, is to actively. Um, recruit people from different backgrounds. You force yourself to live with them or work with them. If you can't actually have a placement abroad, I mean, it's more, it's, I'll tell you one thing, it's really hard to get Norwegians to move abroad on expatriates, you know, a year abroad, two years in China. It's almost impossible to get Norwegians to go abroad because it doesn't pay that well anymore. And basically, let's face it, the lifestyle in Norway is so good <laughs> Who would want to go to a working environment where you can't just drop your stuff at three o'clock on a really sunny February afternoon and go skiing, you know? Mm. So, so, so actively recruit diversity. Force yourself to do it. People from different cultures, different nations, different religions, uh, providing that they're, 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 they're uh, you know, qualified for the job. Mm. Men, women, young, 
old, middle-aged, get it all in there. That's, that's where the world is going, where it already is there. And unless you've got it around you on a daily basis, you're going to struggle to manage it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you were to give employees, uh, not leaders, yeah. a advice uh, on how to become more culturally competent and inclusive in the way that we navigate our workplaces. What, what, do you tell, what do you tell anyone that wants to kind of become a better employee, a better friend, a better colleague in, in order to create a more inclusive workplace? I, I mean, I'm not the first to say it, but the key word is curiosity mm-hmm. or respect. Uh, and I know you know what respect means, but I'm, I'm going to give you another little twist on the word respect. Um, Uh, I'm educated in languages, linguistics. The word respect, you split it up in two. So you've got the re and the spect. And it actually means to look again. So respecting someone is being willing to look at them again, to understand their motivations for what they do, to be genuinely curious about them. And here's the thing about respect. You don't have to agree with someone to respect them. Today you say, I respect you. I agree. No, I can respect you. I don't have to agree. I respect Norwegian culture. I've spent a, I've spent 20 years respecting you, looking at you guys again. It's even turned into a career for me. But I don't agree with everything you do. Some of the things you do are not cool, like the law of Yanta, right? <laughs> that yeah. we talked about. Yeah. So, uh, in an interview with Oslo Business Forum, you provide three tips for um, establishing a successful culture in your company, and you mentioned psychological safety, connection, yeah. and sharing a common yeah. goal. Can you give our listeners a bit more context of what you mean by these these three values? Just remind me again. So the the first one was psychological safety. Psychological safety. You need to feel, you need to feel like you're in a safe environment, and there the Scandinavian score super high. Yeah. So so the um, best countries in the world, the recent index, Norway's top again. That what that really measures is is a sense of security that you have freedom of speech, a sense of equality that um, there's free education, that there's uh, a, a relatively very good uh, gender equality, uh, that, that's a secure, you have a job, you can feed your family, if you can't, you've got a social welfare system that will help you, mm. that's social psychological security. It's also things like, back to, I'm able to express my opinion without being punished. Mm. All those things provide psychological safety, and and without that, You can't. That's the foundation. You can't build anything unless you're the foundation. Mm. And then the, um, the 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 other one was connection. Well, that's the number one human need. We all we all need connection, human connection. And there's been talk about that today, actually, um, especially from who is it? It was uh, Nancy Giordano, I think. She talked about this a lot. Um, with all the technology, the one price we're paying is that we're all becoming lonelier and lonelier. Uh, and that's now a global pandemic. I talk about that in my talks as well, about loneliness. It's a major problem. The, the worst case I've heard so far in Japan, elderly people, lonely elderly people, are willing to commit a crime to go to jail. Why? Because at least in jail they get to eat with someone and they get to talk to someone. That is so sad. Oh, that's the saddest thing ever. Right? And that's where we're going. I love technology. I'm a fan of technology. Absolutely, I use it. But but it, it should be used as a tool and as a companion to us. We, we humans must never forget that we crave connection. And the problem with loneliness is it's, it's one of the most shameful things to admit to other people. Oh, I'm lonely. Especially in our uh, so-me world, right? Yeah. 
So, so you know, connection. And again, cultural awareness, diversity training, including people, being curious. That's a form of connection. And there's nothing more connecting. Or put it this way, the thing that really disconnects people is when they feel that their behavior is not valid. When I do something with good intentions and you look at me with that look that says, what you just did was stupid or not valid. That's why curiosity is so important. And the final one was, again, vision or shared, shared vision. Goal. Yeah, shared common goal. We, we all need to be working towards the same goal. That, that's an obvious thing, right? Yeah, yeah, um, that's what religion is, really. That's why religion is so powerful, right? Because you've got a very clear common goal. And you pick any religion you want. There's a common goal in it. So that's what binds people together. Uh, and if you look at the most successful corporations, they, they have a really clear vision. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy around uh, Starbucks and, you know, maybe it's one of those dying. Uh, but they had a really clear vision. And they put it into words as well. They basically said that, they, you know, um, one, one coffee shop, one coffee cup at a time you know some they're going to change the way we drink coffee it's so clear right mm. um i think that's really important as well and as we become more diverse our, our cultures and our societies it forces us to to make a new vision you know wh what is it we're actually building towards so yeah i think those three elements are really important we have to wrap up. Uh, oh. We are going to uh, go up very soon and experience uh, the Norwegians when they get a little bit happy again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's going to yeah, be some drinks great. upstairs. Yeah. Um, and uh, but, but before we uh, wrap up, we have uh, three questions that are like standard. Oh. The first one is, uh, Peregrino, if you could give your 20-year-old self two pieces of advice, what would you tell that young man? What would I tell them? God, what a question, man. Uh... <laughs> I would say, don't be so afraid. Go for it. I were think. you afraid when you were young? Yeah, I was at times. I, I sort of held back a bit, wasn't sure, insecure. Go for it. Um, I love Steve Jobs' uh, line in his speech, you know, his famous speech that he made at Stanford. You can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. So don't worry so much. Go for it. They'll all connect in the end. Mm. I think I would say to that. Um, and the other one I would say is, I wish I'd studied psychology. Me too. Yeah, man. I, I read it now. I've been reading psychology for 10 years, which is the same pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> But if I went back and said, no, 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 don't do languages was great. I did languages, beautiful. Do psychology, human behavior. We need we need skilled people in human behavior uh, it's more and more. Fascinating, now. and it also helps with the uh, becoming culturally competent because you understand yeah. how. I mean, yes, we are different from culture to culture, but as humans, we are very similar, and we do have the same kind of biases. We do have the same kind of yeah. tendencies. We do have the same needs. So it's like we're not that different, anyways. But once you understand all the psychological reasons as to Correct. why we act like we do, it's a lot easier to kind of understand people in general. Absolutely, and culture is just a layer. By the way, it's, yeah. it doesn't explain all problems and, and 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 frictions. It's just a layer of a complex picture. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite podcast? What's my favorite podcast? Oh, you're going to be really shocked when I say. Do you know who I love listening to? Um, uh, 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 Esther Perel. Have you heard of her? 
She's uh, a yeah, marriage counsellor. She was on oh Norwegian Scavlet. Not because of that. No, she's a brilliant people, but she understands people dynamics so well. She's Esther Perel. She's wrote books. She's written books like uh, Mating in Captivity. Oh wow! Yeah, and she's what got these. What does that? Can you uh, yeah, explain what that Yeah, captivity being that's it's all a very uh, captivity is uh, is Bitten's marriage or a relationship, uh, and and mating is what we do. We're animals at the end of the day. And she's got this great spin. She's a brilliant speaker. You should check out her TED talk. It's great, and she just looks at people relationships, men and women, men and men, women and women, but it's the dynamic of that thing we've always had, which is relationships. Uh, and she comes in with these insights about how we as people relate to each other, which are fantastic. Esther Perel, love it. I will definitely check her out. Yeah. So where should people go to follow you? But I'm, te- I, I'm terrible. Follow. <laughs> I have a really bad homepage, but you can go and check it out. I'm okay. making a new one as we speak. Uh-huh. I'm writing a book as we speak. Oh, wow, cool. About relationships. Nice. Actually, it's a book about, it's about being a man today. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's about being a man, but I don't write about me as much as I write about women in my life that I've interacted with. Mother, wife, daughters. I've got two daughters. Well, that does it. We need to schedule yeah. a new podcast once Yeah, that we need to do out. that, man. Yeah, and I'm I writing will, that, and you know it's a really difficult book to write. I can imagine. But it's a really relevant book today, because I believe, I, this is another podcast, but there are a lot of lost men. There are loads of men walking around today. They're lost. They don't know what they are anymore. Mm. We don't know what we are anymore. And I'm trying to write about it to try and define what we are, yeah? And what our role is. Um, It's 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 Anything related to gender is a touchy subject. Yeah, and I'm going to say some things that people aren't saying. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. We we just published a book two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. I yeah. saw that. Um, but it, it's a very hard. It was a very hard book to write because, you know, it's there's so many nuances yeah, to yeah, things. There's yeah. so much research showing the one thing and the other thing, and and it's just generally a touchy topic where very. everyone has an opinion. Some more science related uh, or science well, based than others. Mine isn't. Mine is science based, but it's about me. It's about telling stories. Okay. So you, uh, one thing I know you can't say is you can't say to me they're not true. You can't, dif- you can't, you won't be able to contradict what I tell you because they're my stories. That's very true. I'm so excited to read that. I can imagine it's really good. And we are definitely getting you back on the podcast. Yeah, I'd love to come back. But thank you so much for joining yeah, us this really time. it really cool, actually. Really lovely. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to Future Forecast. Please remember to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And if you really like it, we would really appreciate if you shared one of the episodes on social media or with one of your friends. Thank you so much. Talk to you next week.